Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of the QuietMark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, CMO at QuietMark. And QuietMark is the independent global certification program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. Through scientific testing and assessment, QuietMark identifies the quietest products in multiple categories spanning many sectors, including home appliances and technology, building sector materials, and commercial sector products. Our guest on this episode is Dan Mayfield, head of the School of Noise. Dan is a multi-instrumentalist composer, sound artist, and author. He founded School of Noise in 2015 and has since delivered workshops and activities to children and families around the world. He has also played violin as a session musician with folk and indie bands, including Daniel Johnson, Darren Heyman, Wave Pictures, Allo Darlin, and Carter USM. Dan studied sound engineering at college and acoustic ecology at university. In many past episodes of this show, it's been a privilege and a great pleasure to enjoy conversations with some of the world-leading experts in the field of sound. Some are sound-driven product designers and others are acousticians responsible for designing the acoustics of some of the most famous buildings in the world. A recurring theme when I ask them what path led to their illustrious career is often, well, I was playing in a band and when I realised the band wasn't really going to make it, I decided to get a proper job and that led me on the path towards what I'm doing today. It's amazing how music affects people's lives and future careers, and that's something that's touched on in a new report published in July this year on gov.uk under the title Simply Doing Music Is Not Enough, with the subheading Ofsted has published its latest research review looking at music education in schools. And at the bottom of that report, there's a quote from Her Majesty's Chief Inspector, Amanda Spielman, which says, Music touches the heart of our humanity, and its sense of wonder has influenced human societies throughout history. For many pupils, the music they love will be part of the narratives of their lives, as indeed it has been for many of the guests on this programme. And that Ofsted report goes on to say that in England, all pupils should study music until the end of Key Stage 3. This expectation is reflected in the national curriculum and is at the heart of the EIF. However, the number of pupils taking up music at Key Stages 4 and 5 continues to decline. Key Stage 3 music provision has also been reduced, and trainee primary teachers are offered shrinking amounts of musical training. And with reduced lesson time, this has been accompanied by lower levels of staffing to support a school's rich musical life. It goes on to say that it's therefore more important than ever for schools to find ways that put high-quality music at the core of the curriculum. The review starts from the assumption that a central purpose of a good music education is that it enables pupils to perform the work of others, explore their own creativity through composing work and, through wider listening and engagement, come to a broader understanding of musical culture and meaning. The report ends with Amanda Spielman saying, Music is part of the curriculum, but simply doing music is not enough. We shouldn't be satisfied with just having music on the timetable. We need to be ambitious about what we expect for music in the classroom and make sure that time is well used. So I hope the review provides helpful guidance for schools on designing and developing a high-quality music curriculum. The School of Noise runs online and offline workshops for children, young people and adults, encouraging the exploration of music and the science of sound. Their aim is to provide creative and imaginative activities using sound in accessible, fun and educational ways. Their founder is our guest on the show today, Dan Mayfield, who is the head of the School of Noise. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hi, Simon. Um, It's an absolute pleasure to be on um, your podcast. I'm a big fan of Quiet Mark, and uh, yeah, I love 
talking about sounds. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, well, thank you for the compliment. I love what you're doing with the um, School of Noise. I was saying there in the introduction that uh, we spotted a knowledge gap, hence why we called our Acoustics Academy an academy, because we recognize that uh, there's a lot of, uh, when it comes to architecture, there's a lot of emphasis on the training of the visuals, but not so much on the sound side of things. And uh, that's often because of a lack of education in sound. And your organization, School of Noise, is educating people at the, well what age do they start at in your your school well we've just started doing some classes for parents and babies and the youngest we've had so far was four weeks old <laughs> now i don't think that the four week year old is taking much on board but it's a space for parents to come and listen to different sounds and music and stories and play on instruments you're the founder and the head of school of noise Tell me a little bit about your journey that took you there and how it all came to be. Tell us a story. Okay. Um, so I grew up in Lincolnshire, mm -hmm. a small town called Sleaford. My parents are both folk musicians and do Morris dancing. And my dad used to run a folk club. So I was brought up with a lot of sort of that type of music going on. Um, and I learned the violin and then started to play the fiddle for dance groups and uh, Irish folk bands in and around the town. So I've always played music and I've always had a, a passion for folk music, but then I, I loved listening to grunge growing up and all sorts of different types of styles of music. And then I went to college in my early 20s and the tutor is to do sound engineering and music technology. And the tutor played as John Cage's 4 minutes 33, which I'm sure all of the listeners are aware of this piece. In fact, and it's featured in uh, In Pursuit of Silence, which is a feature film which was exec produced by Poppy Skeeler, the CEO of Quiet Mark. So we've actually seen a performance of it in that film. So no, let, please carry on. But yes, we're very familiar with that piece. Yeah, uh, and it kind of, it blew my mind in a way that no other piece of music had done before because it it did that thing of opening your ears and your imagination to sound and not music just being music and that's what it was for me before that it was play this folk tune listen to this song on a cd everything was very compartmentalized into a couple of minutes of time of organized sound and then listening to this piece it was like oh gosh, there's everything that makes a noise is vying for attention. It's trying to say something. It's coming from a source of something moving. And yeah, do we listen to just one piece of sound in our life? And it starts when you're born and it ends when you die. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's <laughs> like crazy. And I loved it. And from then on, I started to just pay much more attention to sounds. I learned how to use digital audio workstations and play around with, around with recording. And then I wanted to be able to share those, the things that I found with other people. And I think like fast forward 10 years from there, Mm -hmm. the the school of noise appeared but it was uh, it started you know, 
10 years before I came up with the name um, of just collecting ideas and other artists and musical instruments and technology. And I wanted to have then a space to share all of that with other people. And in 2015, came up with the name School of Noise and started to run some workshops in Hackney in East London for a group of seven to 12 year olds. And we played on copycat tape delays and analog drum machines, synthesizers, Morse code, telegraph keys, <laughs> and kind of anything that I had in my studio, I took to the, the space that we hired and it's like, play on these things. These aren't, they're, they're not precious enough that they shouldn't be touched. And if people play on them carefully, yeah, some of these pieces of equipment were over 40 years old. They were built like tanks. <laughs> a, a child can turn a dial and not break it. So I wanted to find equipment which was robust enough that people could play on, and it wasn't traditional children's musical instruments. Uh, and it felt like some of these instruments only exist in studios or they're only for adults to play on. And I wanted to yeah, share those with other people. And that was the beginning of School of Noise. And then I kept learning about new things. I learned about Foley sound design and graphic scores and acoustic design. So now I incorporate those things into the workshop. So the workshop's constantly growing as I learn new things because I love learning about sound and listening to podcasts like The Quiet Mark <laughs> it inspires what I do. And that, so I just feel like the conduit of there's things out there and then there's people who haven't heard of it. So I enjoy finding it and then passing it on to other people. And that's kind of, that's where I am. I'm constantly finding new things and feel like I'm a, a jack of all trades and a master of none sometimes, but enjoy it. And other people seem to kind of enjoy our workshops, which gives me a lot of pleasure. Oh, I really like what you were just saying there, Dan, about the Morse code instruments and things with dials that children can't break. You know, we see children interacting with telephones so much, these sort of flat, buttonless screens where there is touch involved, of course, but it's not twisting of dials and so on. In fact, interestingly, as it happens, somewhat sadly, of course, but it was my, my father's funeral yesterday, okay? And the music that we played as we came out of the crematorium was My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. And the reason why that piece of music was selected, not least of all because my dad absolutely loved it and had the vinyl, but um, it was, for me, My Sweet Lord in whatever it was, 1971, 72, for me it was the first time as a child where I saw a needle land on the, something black and vinyl and made the connection that when that needle touched that vinyl, sound came out of those speakers, some magic is happening here. 
and to recognize those things that you have to interact with, whether it's turning dials or putting needle on vinyl or blowing into a horn or whatever it might be. It's amazing for children to play with objects that make sound uh, and to to interact with sound and to see the look on their faces. You must get some amazing reactions when you see children in this technical era start interacting with things that make sound. Do they sometimes jump? Are they sometimes scared of it? Or are they pretty bold and just go for it like we did when we were kids? Yeah, most children that I've come across tend to be quite bold at giving things a go. And it's sometimes us as the adults which are the ones that worry about what might go wrong right we we kind of have a a sense of the danger because we've seen things break in the past but most of the time things don't break and i'm very much of the the opinion give them a a chance to not break things (laughs) that's great Now, it says on the website that you offer workshops underneath which it says the activities we provide are tailored for anyone to participate in having fun exploring and being creative with sound. Take us through a workshop. What do you do in them? Well, we have two types of workshops. One is a like more of a formal talk slash interactive session. And that's one that I would take into a school, for example. Mm-hmm. And we would talk about what sound is so go from the very basics of it the physics of its energy it's vibrating bits of air or solids or liquids and then how our ears convert that acoustic energy into electrical energy and then how a microphone does almost the same as our ears it's a listening device that turns acoustic energy into electrical energy Okay. Got like a, a giant ear that the children in non-COVID times can pass around and touch and take the parts off and put them back. Oh, really? And, that sounds yeah. good. Is it like one of those sort of models that we all saw in our biology labs when we were kids of putting the human body together? Yeah, but one, but the, not one that isn't, it's not behind a glass case that you can never touch. It's like, here you go, touch this thing. And then, it, yeah, in that session... We will sample sounds and turn it into something more rhythmic and musical, um, talk about Foley sound design. And then I would have tables laid out of scientific bits of equipment, whether it's tuning forks, cladney plates, um, and then musical instruments like a lithophone, a waterphone. A waterphone? Telegra- yeah. Which is? The waterphone is like a, a metal... It's two. Like, it's like two metal bowls welded together, right? With a pipe sticking out the middle, w- with different length tines going around the sides. Mm-hmm. It's an instrument that a lot of people haven't seen before or heard the name of. But if I played it to you, you would be like, "Oh, I know that sound." <laughs> So I can play it for you if you would like. It's in front of me, but I need to put some water inside it. As Dan went over to reach for his uh, water phone, I thought it's time to turn cameras back on. We did have cameras off, so I'd love you to turn your camera back on, Dan, as I so that I can see what you're about to play. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. 
So it's played with a, it can be played with a violin bow or with beaters, or you can tap it with your fingers. But the most kind of iconic way of playing it is with a bow. There's water inside it. As it's swirling around, yeah. it's changing the pitch of the note ever so slightly. But it's an amazing instrument. I'm sure kids go crazy for that. Yeah. Children really like playing on it. And what I try to do with the workshops is I want them to be interesting for everybody in the room. I want whether it's the parents or it's teachers, to also be like, oh, wow, can I have a go on that as well? <laughs> because I didn't know about this until I was an adult and I enjoy playing on it still. So I'm sure other people will do. So I want this, everyone to have an opportunity to play on things like that. And my goodness, you couldn't break a water phone if you tried. <laughs> it looks pretty robust. So, I suppose something else that's quite nice about it is something that's quite intimidating sometimes with a musical instrument. You know, drums are one thing. I can hit them and get something good immediately. Piano, you've got to deal with all those keys, right? And I think the nice thing about that um, water phone is, you know, you, you can pretty much play it just by, from picking it up, right? Yeah. And that's interesting what you're saying about a piano. So there are some instruments which we've used in the past, which I don't think worked as well. And they tended to be instruments which the children or even the adults already had an expectation about. And one was a synthesizer, a monophonic synthesizer. And when the children went to play it, they were trying to play things that they knew from piano lessons or other keyboard lessons. And they'll be saying, oh, so it's not working. It only plays one note at a time. Right. I like to have the room set out in a way that people walk in and almost don't recognize any of the instruments on the tables, hmm. whether it's an, an omnichord, it's the, yeah, the instruments I mentioned before, a theremin. They don't know what these are, but with a very quick introduction, wave your hand in front of the theremin. Wow, it's making a sound. Push your button on the Omnicord and run your finger up and down this little metal ladder. It makes a sound. And children get that immediately. So there isn't years and years of honing a technique to make a sound out of these things. You get a response straight away from them. And I think there's lots of opportunities for people anyway to play more traditional instruments. So I don't think that's what our role is i think our role is for people to go i'd never heard of that before i've never seen that or i've heard of it but i've never got to play on it and we provide a space where people can get to do those things i think that's wonderful you know i went to um, a fantastic exhibition of david hockney's a couple of years ago and i remember reading a plaque within the exhibition where he was basically in the, I think it was in the late 60s, early 70s, he was working with the government and he did a report and he was saying, look, we are taking the easels, the painting easels, 
out of children's classrooms and out of the curriculum far too early. He had the opinion that um, children should still be painting in classrooms till the age of 13, 14, 15 and just being allowed to experiment with paint. And he almost got laughed at in Parliament saying it's not an academic thing. You know, as long as they paint up to the age of four or five, they'll take it on as some sort of hobby, which some children do and many, many, many more don't. Um, And more recently, Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba in China, he was speaking at Davos and his speech was talking about artificial intelligence. And he said his words and his, you know, he's the Asian equivalent, if you like, of Jeff Bezos, you know, of Amazon. He's the wealthiest man, one of the wealthiest people in Asia, and he's built a shopping empire. Uh, but he started from very humble beginnings. And he said um, so many things that we've, the on the academic side that we've taught and, and prioritized, AI is going to do quicker and faster. And his view, he said, we need to encourage creative play, team sports, calligraphy, playing musical instruments, because something that AI won't be able to do in the near future that we can do is create and play. It will be able to do um, the other tasks. How does that resonate with you, what Jack Ma said about encouraging creativity as a way going forward in the future and what it brings to a child at the earliest pace stages of their lives in their future lives? Yeah, I I would agree entirely. And um, the late Ken Robinson, I think, would also probably have agreed when he did a, a really interesting talk about create, creativity. It's something which I feel, and th- these aren't my, I don't think hardly anything is ever my opinion. This is just stuff that I've picked up from other people and it just sort of channels <laughs> through me and I can never quite remember where the ideas came from, but um, I'm, it's from people much brighter than myself. But creativity often just ex- can exist in the arts and it sometimes gets pushed aside in there. You go, oh, you want to be creative? Do your music lesson, do your art lesson. And then that's it. That to, <laughs> with that, not getting political, but to people who create these provisions like the arts are the creative spaces and they really aren't like the creativity blossoms in the arts it's all about creativity but that mindset will allow people to work anywhere in a a society like you said just to be friendly with other people um to be empathic with other people to be creative in problem solving. And there are problems everywhere. There's problems with design. What, how do we meet the, the problems of the future? In medicine, how do we come up with new um, medicines? Your mate might have a problem and you then you have to be creative and thinking of solutions to try and support them. So the arts is this place where it should be the first place to go be creative and play but it should not live exclusively there and i think sometimes it does what is the typical engagement process from schools is 
do you find that they they recognize there's almost a hunger and a thirst for creativity in the schools because there is such a focus generally speaking and i've got friends who are teachers of young at, at infant schools and they say to me oh my god the curriculum's focusing so much on young children doing so much work in maths and english and hardly anything on on the arts and to know that um you bring a service to schools to sort of bring some of that arts into a school i like i say i imagine there's a thirst for it how does that work often i would be asked to go into a school around key stage two of primary schools and that's sort of like seven to 12 year olds i think or something like that that's right and that would be to cover elements of the science curriculum and in the science curriculum we have physics and then under physics we have sound um and so i can go in there and cover a bit in a two-hour session but what I'd like, I'd tried to do is expand and give context to the science of sound. And like I mentioned earlier, then it's learning what sound is, but we can turn it into music. We can turn it into Foley for films. We can understand it. And then that helps with how we design notifications and buildings to just give the children and the teachers a little bit of it doesn't just sit in the this the dusty old science textbook under physics it's it's everywhere around us it's everywhere you turn all of the simple machines you use in your kitchen make a sound are they have people considered the sound that they make the beeps on microwaves or the the noise that you, our, our fridge is really in, is one of the worst sounds I think in our house. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would have met the quiet mark. Um, <laughs> it doesn't stop beeping when you oh, leave the yes. door open. And I've always had fridges where you have the door open and you might be loading in the shopping, and then it'll beep three or four times and then stop, and then it'll wait thirty seconds and beep again. This one just constantly is beeping. So, yeah, I don't know how it suddenly got into our fridge. But but nevertheless, if, I think what you're saying there is if the... It's interesting because we've heard this a bit on the show in the past uh, about the acoustic ecology. And it says whether you're designing or building a product or a space always involve... An artist is what the acoustic ecology, which goes back to the works of Murray Schaefer, always involved an artist in the mix because if you only deal with bean counters and financial people they'll be pragmatic in the design but they won't be poetic in the design and it won't really satisfy the end user product so we've had examples of um a Dr. Elif Ojkan Vieira who designs hospital alarm systems in one episode and she's saying that when she does she calls it product uh, sound driven product design so when she's designing alarm systems for hospitals she does it from a poetic point of view as well as a pragmatic one which is to let the nurse know that the pump needs changing or whatever it means you know, we're talking about but they, they it can be tuned in a certain way with a certain artistic sensitivity similarly martin ware was brought to the west street project to create soundscapes which helped reduce the trouble outside night nightclubs you know in brighton of all things but rather than you know if they really wanted a solution they needed to bring an artist to the um situation and that's exactly what you're saying it's 
it's not just that the arts will sit in the art box and they'll create installations that people can see at the Tate Modern. You know, it's not about that. It's about that that creativity can be applied to, as you're saying, making sure that you have a fridge that doesn't beep when you're trying to load the shopping and making sure that a building makes you feel good as well as just looking good when you go into it because they've considered the acoustic properties of the building. So arts really does spill into everything. And like I say, the acoustic ecology says, bring an artist to the table to make it work and connect with human beings. Absolutely. I loved that episode about the hospital sounds. Um, my first child was born in December 2020. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so that's been a, a whole new world of sounds, which I have never experienced before. <laughs> a baby being 12 inches from your face screaming is the loudest sound I've ever experienced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, we had to spend a, a few days in hospital after he had been born. And yeah, the sounds of hospitals are just very difficult places to recover mm. in. And that episode was brilliant. And it, yeah, it resonated so much. And whether it's from the patient's point of view or the people working in the hospitals as well. It's really nice to know that there's people out there helping the sound design of spaces like that. One of the things that struck me just now was you were saying that uh, you like laying stuff out on the table, which doesn't just surprise the children, but also raises the eyebrows of adults thinking, I haven't seen that instrument before. And talking of adults, that brings us on to festivals, because again, on your website, it says that your workshops have been part of many music, film and science festivals, including Latitude, Green Man, WOMAD, End of the Road, Cheltenham Science Festival, Czech Film Festival and Barnes Film Festival. Um, how do you restructure these workshops for what essentially sounds like a very adult audience there? In physical um, workshops at, at festivals, yeah, we would have all of the equipment laid out and it's billed as a, a family-friendly workshop. And hopefully that means that Children and adults can both attend this and it's a drop in, come and play on, on the equipment, talk to us or read the information cards with each bit of equipment, kind of museum style. Mm -hmm. And the children get to have a go. And then there's always a queue of adults thinking, have they finished yet? Because I really want to tap that um, apple and pineapple to trigger musical sounds that looks like a lot of fun so it's a really nice mix of adults waiting for their turn when the children <laughs> have finished and we get questions from young people get questions from old people and they're just brilliant spaces to be in wow and it's nice i love it when i can look over and see the parents maybe read the little information card and they're learning with their children. And Brilliant. so they're, they're talking about it together. They're following the instructions and like they're just getting on with it. And I know that we've got something nice, really nice happening there because they can understand it and they can interact with it. 
and they don't need me to be waffling in their ears all the time. I love that. I love that. I think as well, the fact that you're bringing something like that to families, you know, um, I've been talking to my own children about um, the things that they, they've enjoyed doing with their, their grandparents most. And it's always the simplest things. It was when they went blackcurrant picking off bushes down the country lanes or dug up the potatoes at the allotment and put them on the fire. It's the simplest things that, like you say, you just let them get on with that actually create, genuinely create the best memories. And I think the fact that you're bringing that to festivals and letting you know grandparents and parents and children learn and discover together through sound it's a that's a really um that's a really beautiful thing and i congratulate you for doing it oh thank you it's very kind um for you to say so it's nice to hear i i remember at school there was a, a photographer who came in and she showed us photographs these big photographs of owls that she'd been taking <laughs> and it must it was this was primary school so this must have just been half an hour that we went in and saw this, but it stuck with me for yeah. like 30 years later. I can still remember this happening. And I like to think that maybe what we do will stick in some people's heads for all that time. I don't think it will for everybody, but that's fine. Like, but if there's some people that just they go, wow, I hadn't thought of that. I really want to look into that a little bit more. Just open up a bit of curiosity and enthusiasm and interest for sound. Um, I think that's, yeah, I would love to have been that child. You know, I think the fact that you're bringing that to children is great. Certainly, I'm a drummer. And my earliest memories, you know, literally that nursery school moment where the you know, everyone sit on the blanket and there's a whole range of instruments in the middle. The moment I was able to hit something and make a sound with it was the moment I, to be honest with you, I became a drummer. I thought I can do this and I can do it well, not just by hitting it, but hitting it at varying volumes, varying tempos, uh, in time with the other children. And um, it, for me as a child, it's like, oh, I'm doing something in the classroom where you know, in the maths room and in the English room, I wasn't the I wasn't the best in the class at all. But in the music room, it was a bit more equal. And actually, I found something that I really liked, and I and I pursued that. And we've talked on this show actually talking of that. Um, we spoke when we did an episode with Buzzy Space with Richard Ellerbeck. He had done a graduate. He was a graduate in psychoacoustics, and he was talking about when they're looking at improving the acoustics of rooms you very much have to take into consideration the different uh, personality types of the people in the office, for example, whether they're introverts or extroverts. And sometimes you might need to tune the acoustics of a space depending on those personality types. And I think one of the things that you're doing with sound, um, and certainly, as I say, happened for me, is by having the opportunity to hit things and pursue it, it gave me a channel that I felt confident and comfortable with. And, and like I say, it became really, uh, not just becoming a drummer, but the art of drumming. Like There's so many acousticians designing the acoustics of the most amazing buildings in the world. And when I interviewed them on this show, 
I say to them, do you come from a musical background? And they all say, yeah, I, I started playing as a musician. And when I recognized I wasn't going to be able to make a living, I went into an acoustics career because I just loved sound. And um, to be opening those doors for people at a young age is fantastic. Yeah, I when you mentioned about designing the spa spaces for different types of people, uh, that's it's so true. Because sometimes people think, bad sounds are loud good sounds are quiet and you can't do anything about it and there is so much that can be done about sound whether it's almost the proverbial band-aid over a place which is already noisy to trying to put in baffles and change the shape of it or is it more preventative by actually designing things with that consideration from the get-go yeah yeah and i as well as working in sound, I've worked in social care for the last 20 odd years as well, supporting adults on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the adults I work with have difficulty with sensory sensitivities and sound plays a huge part in that to the extent where there's people who won't leave their house at certain times of the day to go for medical appointments or to the shops because of the noise. And we try to kind of come up with ways around that to try and support people. And noise cancelling headphones in the last few years have been like such a change in allowing people to go out and participate in society when before they wouldn't have been able to because it was too um, too difficult to have noise-cancelling headphones on, not listening to any music, but just using that technology. Mm. And they look like normal headphones, so nobody else is going to be pointing and saying, why are you wearing ear defenders no one knows it's, it's quite a socially acceptable um, object to be wearing but then now we're trying to talk to employers to say it's actually really important that this person has the opportunity to wear these in the workplace and they're not listening to music but this is a um a tool an aid to allow this person to actually concentrate and not have anxiety attacks. And I think that's really important um, to have that. Oh, how am I going to say this? I, I think when people, if somebody has a difficulty which you don't have yourself, all you can do is believe them if they say, I find this really hard. And that's then not for me to say, no, it's okay. I don't have that. It's fine. Our job is to say, I believe you. What can we do about this? And there are many things which are very hard to change. Sound is something which we can often change. And noise cancelling headphones have been amazing. And I think that they should be allowed. But they, by law, they are allowed 
in the workplace, but they should be very acceptable to wear them in the workplace. Dan, something I did want to ask you, we were talking about psychoacoustics just now, and I'd like to know, uh, I don't know if this has ever happened, but when you are in these classrooms and we talked about different personality types, have you ever had a moment where a child who otherwise got overshadowed in class and kind of sat in the shadows at the back suddenly came forward and thought, this is my moment, I love this. Have you have you witnessed anything like that ever in your classes? Yeah, quite often in the classes, there will be some, there'll be a child who knows about sound. And as soon as they start talking, some of the rest of their class will go, oh, no, it's all about sound again. <laughs> uh, but then like, they're the star of our classes. And suddenly there's much, there's a higher respect for them now that they can <laughs> talk about sound and they're answering questions right. Yeah. But, but a few in, I think 2018, we were at Latitude Festival and we get hundreds of people over the weekend come and visit the workshops and people might say, oh, thank you, really enjoyed that. Off they go and we never see or hear from people again. But we received an email from a parent the following week, and I can read it out to you. And this reading this email almost like it justified everything that I want to try and do. So they said, "Thank you for the inspirational experience my son had at Latitude Festival with you guys. Albie loves electronic music and science, but has no interest in playing an instrument." He wants to listen and not play music. The 45 minutes he spent on the analogue synths has changed all that. I cannot thank you enough for inspiring him. And that was just so beautiful to, to read that. That's incredible. Oh, Dan, I think that's a lovely note to, to, to end this recording on and uh, this brilliant conversation that I've really enjoyed having with you. It's lovely to hear Albie's parents um, I'm sure that resonates with many people listening to the show um, you're doing great work there and thank you for coming on the show today to tell us all about it thank you so much Simon I always love talking about sound and I love it when I'm talking to other people who love talking about sound so this has been an absolute pleasure and uh, I love the work that you do and the quiet mark so keep that up as well that inspires me so Oh, that's awesome. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, Dan. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, Simon. Our thanks to Dan Mayfield and School of Noise for taking time to share their stories on the Quiet Mark podcast. If you'd like to know more about School of Noise, you can visit them at schoolofnoise.com where you can book them for events or school workshops. I'm sure Dan would be delighted to hear from you. Of course, I have to point out the similarity in the names School of Noise and our Acoustics Academy, both of which, in their own way, are trying to fill a knowledge gap. School of Noise, as we've heard, teaches children to engage with music and instruments at an early age. 
and our Acoustics Academy, which is a free-to-use online directory of verified acoustic products for the building sector, well, within our Acoustics Academy, in addition to being able to find verified products for your walls, floors, doors, ceilings, glazing, etc., we also have sections like our Sound Made Simple, which is a guide which clarifies the complex acoustic terminology with insights to design with sound. We also have a glossary of acoustic terms, which outlines acoustic concepts and parameters and explaining the definitions of terms like impact sound insulation, through airborne sound insulation to acoustic privacy and vibration isolation. All of which can be found on our Acoustics Academy, which is available via acousticsacademy.com or through the homepage of quietmark.com. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show and we look forward to you joining us for future episodes. For now, bye-bye.